Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Harvey Friesen. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Good morning, everyone. Uh, actually, Pastor Harvey here with you this morning and glad to be in the house with you to celebrate the work of the Lord. We've been studying through the book of Genesis, chapters 39 to, uh, sorry, 37 to 45, and in this series about the new normal, the main principle that we're studying, and by the way, you can follow along on your app with me if you'd like to, is that the main principle, the notes are all in there. You know how we've handed out those handouts. Now they're all on the app. So if you want to follow along, uh, follow along with us there. Um, the, but that main principle we're talking about today is our attitude. And that is, is that our attitude towards change impacts the, adi- the, sorry, impacts the effect that change actually has on me. And today we're talking about it out of Genesis chapter 20. Jacob's wife was Rachel. She was a beautiful woman. She was his favorite. Of course, back in that day, he had two wives and two concubines. He had 12 sons that we know of. And also, we also know that he had several uh, other children. Jacob played favorites with his kids. And that has a lot to do with why Joseph ended up in Egypt. In fact, I think it has everything to do with the fact Jacob gave Joseph a beautiful flamboyant robe, one that was so extraordinary that whenever he walked around, everyone knew he was the favorite. Jacob made a mistake in this. Jacob loved his son to the detriment of his other children, and in that it embittered his other children to him. If you're a sibling and you have several siblings or maybe one or more or whatever, is that maybe you two know what it feels like to be overlooked or to be passed over That's how Jacob's sons, other than Joseph, felt. While Joseph was uh, basking in the glory of being the favorite child at home, his other brothers were sent 20 miles away north to Shechem, where they were tending after the family's flocks. And so one day, uh, um, Jacob gets the bright idea that he's going to send his son Joseph, who hasn't done much work, up to be with the sons who are tending to all the family's flocks. So in this process, Jacob puts Joseph in a spot he's not accustomed to. Joseph goes out, and now he's among them on the land. The brothers see him coming, and maybe this is the first time he's ever shown up. We don't know, but when he, they see him coming, the first thought they have in their minds is this. How do we get rid of him? How do we get rid of him? Now's our chance. He's away from the protection of our father. He's away from all those nice things that he has. How do we get rid of him now? And maybe this will be over in our lives. When Jacob had, uh, sorry, when Joseph was a child, one of the things that he experienced was is that he experienced dreams. And so he had different dreams and he actually had a dream about him and his family. And in fact, he had two of them and he shared those dreams. While part of that, that dream was prophetic, another part of it was the way he interpreted it when he was a young man. Now, I want you to see something for a second. Let's don't be too hard on him, but let's be accurate about his life. The the style that Joseph had growing up was truly the grooming of a narcissistic lifestyle. It was all about him. And in that all about him, one of the things he lacked was the ability to be empathetic in seeing the world from someone else's perspective. When we talk about navigating the new normal, one of the things that we have to learn to do is that we have to understand ourselves in the context of other people's lives as well. The unfortunate part of it is that Jacob trained his son, Joseph, 
to almost be or maybe was some form of a narcissist. I want you to see some of the, uh, uh, some of the way that, that that dream plays out because Joseph had a dream, but he made it about himself and his brothers. He made it more about himself than really what God was doing in that time. So I want you to look at Genesis chapter 37, verses five to 11 with me, and let's read into the story. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Now notice this, they hated him already, but the dream was the top of the, uh, of the cake, if you will. It was the cherry on top. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were bring, binding sheaves of grain out in the field. And I think, I think J, uh, Joseph's brothers at this moment went, whoa, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've never been out in the field. You've never done any of the work. And your dream now is that you're actually doing something we got to hear this story. I mean, I'm obviously con throwing in my own conjecture, but I think that's what they're saying to him. But he says, we were out there working in the field when suddenly my work, my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Can you imagine the gall of the narcissistic younger brother, the 11th of 12, standing up and saying, I had this dream that we were working, hadn't worked a day in his life, and then tells the brothers, you're gonna bow down before me. If you have need a personal moment right here to reflect on maybe your childhood and maybe some issues or struggles or whatever, we're gonna give you a sidebar moment because maybe you're walking in that pain too. And I'm kind of making a little bit of light of it, but I wanna be serious about it for a moment. <clears throat> when they saw him coming, the first thought they had was this, how do we get rid of him? How do we get rid of him? <clears throat> Excuse me. His brother said to him, <clears throat> Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of what his dream, uh, of this dream and what he had said. So let's look at the second dream. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, notice he has to say, listen. I think it's ironic too. It's because they were tired of listening to him, right? So here he is, steps forward and he says, hey, 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 listen, listen. What does he say? I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. So now all of a sudden, in their idea, is that the father and the mother are now also bowing down. Can you see this kid gone amok? I mean, we're at Albertson's aisle five, and it's that kid, okay? It's that kid. That's who we're talking about right here. So if you don't think the Bible applies to your normal life, it does. It's that kid in aisle five, Right? Look what it says. His father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? <clears throat> Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but notice this last line. <clears throat> but his father kept this matter in mind. There was a prophetic part to this dream and there was also a pathetic part to this dream. The prophetic part of it was that he actually was going to be used of God to save all of Israel. The pathetic part of it was is that he saw it for himself. Hear me on this, Christian. Before we get too many ideas out there, here's a point we want to draw. It's that when God speaks into our lives, remember this, it's generally always about using us and working in us and through us rather than just being there to bless us. 
Remember the, remember the blessing that was given to, Mo, to Abraham? The blessing was this. I will bless you that you might be a blessing to all the nations. Don't ever mistake that the blessing that we've been given as followers of Christ is just for us. It's always for others. Why do we care about missions in this church? Because God called on us to not just care about ourselves, not just care about our local neighbors, but to care about people to the ends of the earth. That's the calling of the gospel. In this case, Joseph became a missionary from his own family, but not by his own choosing. <clears throat> so it says, the father kept this in mind. I want you to hear a couple of things that are important. Joseph was gonna be used by God, but his delivery was awful. His delivery was awful. In our lives, sometimes that's what goes on with us as well. Jeff, if I could have a little bit of water, that would be really helpful. Thank you. <clears throat> They hated him, and the moment they saw him, what did they do? They said, how do we get rid of him? So the timing was such that when they came, he showed up. They hadn't had a plan yet, so what they did was they threw him in a cistern. If you grew up on a farm, you know what a cistern is. It's a place where you hold water. <clears throat> Thank you. A cistern is a place where you actually hold water. but it was a place where you stored the water. And of course it was deep and it was dug and it was in the ground. So what they did was is that they didn't have a plan yet, but they said, you know what? Let's put him in there. Let's put him in there. And along the way, here come a group of Bedouins, Midianites, who were traveling from the Northeast, going to the Southwest, heading on their way to Egypt. So what did they do? They sold him for 20 pieces of silver. I always think it's important to note that he got a lesser price than Judas, who got 30 pieces. Interesting little combo there, right? <clears throat> but I digress. Go on further with me, is that those Bedouins take him to Israel, and then what they do is that they go back and they take that beautiful multicolored robe and they bring it back to the father, and it's so amazing, the story of actually how it's recounted. They bring this tattered, they shred it up, they put some goat's blood on it, they bring it to the father, and they, and they wanna give him the story of what happened, and here's what they say in Genesis 37, 31. They say, we found this, examine to see whether it is your son's robe not whether it's Joseph's robe, but examine this to see whether it is your son's robe. Can you hear the animosity? Can you hear the bitterness with all of it? There was an interesting thing that happened here, and I want you to draw this note. They deceived their father. They got rid of the son, but they deceived the father. You need to know something about it because sometimes when you read the Bible, you think, well, everybody's got their act together. Everybody's perfect and pious and we all know how to stand up, sit down, turn around, do all the right things and be religious. These people were normal people who had struggles and difficulty. While they were moving on their way to the land that they settled, there was rape, there was murder, there was deceit. You need to know a bit of history along the way too. Jacob was the second son of Isaac. Esau was the oldest son. As the oldest son, he would have been given the birthright. You have to understand, that's how the culture worked. So with that, what happened was his mom is the one who started the deceit. She's, when, when the brother went out to prepare to gain a, 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 an animal to put on the table to produce an offering so that he would receive that birthright blessing from his father, Rachel grabbed Jacob and said, go grab some meat, put it on the table, make yourself smell like your brother and go in there and steal the blessing because your father can't tell who it is and couldn't tell the difference. Jacob, the father who trained his son to be a narcissistic little one, started his own life out with deceit. 
Deceit is such an insidious thing, you guys. You need to understand that deceit is also one of those things that leads you to be around deceitful people. If you think about Jacob's life before he married Rachel, he was deceived by Laban, who instead of promising his daughter Rachel to him, gave him his daughter Leah. So Jacob himself was deceived by someone else. Here in Genesis 37, we see the deceit continues and the sons deceive their own father. I want you to hear, and this is another side point to note, deceit causes so much pain in our world. If you look at the world going on around us right now, so much of it derives from deceit. We're in this shuffle and this business back and forth. And you know what the root of all that is? We took God's truth and said, that's no longer valuable. What we're gonna do is, now we're gonna implant moral relativism. And moral relativism says, your truth is your truth, and your truth is your truth, and your truth is your truth, and your truth is your truth. And now we have this combat zone of truth, uh, what is simply my practical desire and experience. So what we're actually doing with moral relativism is we're doing the same thing that Jacob did, and that is moral relativism raises a narcissistic culture. And in a narcissistic culture, someone is right and everyone else is wrong. That's what the fight is about. This new normal that we're facing, this is really just the elongation of watching a culture that said, we no longer want God in our families. We no longer want God in our friendships. We want, no longer want God in our businesses, in our government, in our churches, in our neighborhoods. And you say churches, well, I'll tell you what's on trial right now is cultural Christianity is dying. Cultural Christianity is dying. If any of you listen to Pastor Doug's podcast this week, you'll have heard him talk about that the Barna Group came out and said this, is that since COVID started, 30% of normal people that had been going to church just stopped going completely. Just stopped going completely. Just said, yep, just not gonna go. Not gonna go. Now there are surely medical reasons and there are surely health concerns and there are surely all those kinds of things. But one of the things that's on trial is this, is that even the pagan culture around us looks at cultural Christianity and says, yeah, not worth much. Mm, it's, it's, more, it's sort of like this response. Nyeh, right? Nyeh. Even the world around us does that. The other thing that's on trial, celebrity Christianity. I hope to the good Lord that when you come here and that we worship in this crowd that we're gathered here and all of us who are out there online is that we're here because we wanna hear the word of God, not just the words of a person. We wanna hear the truths of God because on Monday you need God's truth. You don't need our charisma. On Monday you need the will and way of God, not just the words of Harvey and Doug. On Monday you need to know that our God is our God and that in this new normal, he's still reigns. He still reigns. Deceit is what will kill our, all of our institutions. It will kill all of our families. In fact, the Bible tells us that deceit is actually what destroys our lives. If you look at 1 Peter, and I think it's here, and I know if you're following on the app, just follow along with the notes there. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says this, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. The antithesis of narcissism, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but be giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life, whoever desires life, this is by the way a quote from, from Psalm chapter 34. If you desire to have life and if you want to have life in this new normal, to love and to see good days, if you desire to love and to see good days, must keep their tongue from evil 
and their lips from speaking deceit. Deceit will destroy our lives. In fact, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, if you want to see that verse, look what it says. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits. There's an argument going on within the church on top of all the arguments going on out there in the world, and that is this. Do we believe the Word of God, and do we stand on it, or is it just a nice little set of stories that kind of hum us along, and we keep a part of a social group, and we do our little lives? That will not carry the day in the new normal. Just telling you, it won't carry the day in the new normal. And on top of that, every Christian, you gotta hear this. We preach Jesus. To some, it's foolishness. To others, it's, it's craziness. But to us, it's the power of God resurrected that changes our lives. Hear me on this. We preach Jesus because we want you to know him and to be found in him and have a faith in him not in the sticks and bricks of this building, not in the staff and leadership of this church, not in any of those things. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. And why is it important? Because in Matthew chapter seven, it says this. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, which that word there means preach, didn't we preach in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform any miracles? And I will declare to them, I, you wanna hear the first, the four hardest words, the four worst words to hear in this book, in that book right there? I never knew you. Come here, be loved on, be cared about, be nurtured, be grown in your faith, but please come to know Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this, is that God loves you and that God paid the price for your sins and he did the work to restore us all to be in relationship with him. That's the gospel. Friends, don't be deceived. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, when it talks about being, uh, being ready for the latter times, if indeed these are the latter times, Matthew chapter 24 says this. He says, do not be deceived. Because they ask, well, when, when are you gonna come back? And when, when, will, the, when will the second coming be? And when, when will you show up? And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, it says in Matthew 24, and the disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us, when will this happen? When will be the sign of your coming? When will be the end of the age? And here's how Jesus answered. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming that I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive or mislead many. Many will be deceived. If you want three things, if you think these are the latter days, if you think we're living in those end times, this might well be that. I can tell you this, I've read the book. Don't ever get me guessing on the date because I don't know. And Jesus said himself, you won't know. If someone tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, you should probably run, okay? You should probably run. But hear me on this. We are told what the latter days will look like. And in those latter days, Jesus said three things. And if you're there, and we, maybe we're all there, I don't know, but we should know this. Number one, he says, don't be deceived. Number two, catch this church, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
Look, 10 hours of network news will cause more fear. You're gonna have to double your blood pressure meds. You're gonna have to double everything else that you're taking because I'm telling you this, is that it is nothing but one big fear story after another, after another. The God we serve is just the same God as the God uh, Joseph served and the same God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob served. And you know why I like their story? Catch this ready. They were not perfect. If you need these guys to be perfect, then you don't know the gospel because there was a perfect one, but his name was Jesus, not Joseph. His name was Jesus, not Jacob. Hear me on that, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. That's the story that we're celebrating here today. This new principle is, is that our attitude towards change impacts the way that change affects us. And the way that cultural Christianity is not working is also something that should scare us all because God called us to know him, not just to come sit in these chairs. It's interesting to me that the big argument going on is whether or not we can get together. Praise God, we should always get together. And do we do the distancing? Of course we do. And do we do masks? Of course we can do those. We can all have the ability to know what our own self-governance looks like. God gave us one of these to use. Wear it out. Wear it out. Get in there and make friends with it. Wear it out. All right. Now we're gonna get into Genesis 40. It's not gonna go for forever. I promise you we're gonna skip through this really quick. So I want you to see Genesis uh, chapter 40. Here's the story for today, a few things to learn. We have Joseph who's gone through all those things and now he's sitting there in the guard's uh, prison and, the, and the, the, the captain of the guard has him in prison because why? He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of raping him, which we know he didn't do. And so here he is in a difficult spot. And I think here we start to see how his heart gets reshaped by the heart of God. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. These two people messed up because they got they, they made angry the most powerful person in their world. And their two jobs were to protect his life. The cupbearer was the last one to drink the cup of the wine for that the king would drink from, and the baker was the one that made the food. Something big happened in the kitchen of Pharaoh, and these two guys end up with Joseph down in the prison. So here's our little buddy Joseph, wrongly accused, and maybe he was muttering. I get the feeling he was muttering because I think he was human. I think he's muttering, going, man, I cannot believe. And then he's sitting there, he's like, wait, what are these guys doing here? And so these guys come in, and you know what those guys would have had? Think about what, what they would have had. If they served as the cupbearer to the Pharaoh and they were the baker of the Pharaoh, what would they have had? The nicest choice garments. Remember our boy with the multicolored robe? He now gets thrown into prison and he sees these two people come in with all their garmentry and he asks himself the question, what in the world are they doing here? Well, let's see what they're doing here. So the cupbearer and the chief baker and they put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Who is that? Happened to be Potiphar again. And who is Joseph in jail from? Potiphar. In the same prison where Joseph was confined, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended to them. Now there's something really important that happened here. Joseph was given a sub-leadership role within the prison. And I think it's important to note, I think that Potiphar knew deep in his heart from the beginning that he was falsely accused. I think he knew that the man was actually trying to be honorable. 
You remember what happened in Joseph's life is that actually when he started working in the administration of Potiphar, he actually learned to, catch this, ready? The narcissist learned to work, work. He got, oh my goodness, a callus or two on his hands. He started to learn how to do a job. And along the way, Potiphar noticed. And when he, even when he was in prison, Joseph was given a role. The sermon title, by the way, today is this, Stop Grinding, which is a way of saying complaining, and stop, <clears throat> stop grinding and stop complaining and stop worrying and start praying and start serving. Watch how he did that. <clears throat> exactly. So he signed them to Joseph and he attended to them. <clears throat> After they'd been custody, in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, ha had a dream. And the same night in each dream had a meaning of its own. Now go to the next verse. Watch this. They come to Joseph the next day. Remember, the guy who's there taking care of him, and he says, uh, we both had dreams. And he's thinking to himself, I'm in here because of a dream. Man, I, I, I don't know. It, we don't know in the scripture. But here's what I think he did. I think he looks at him and goes, dude, talk to the guy in the cell down the way. I have nothing to do with dreams. We did dreams in another life. That was when I was playing in the minor leagues. I don't dream anymore. I just play ball. I do my job. I don't touch anybody. I don't mess with anybody. I'm just here, man. Talk to the guy down that way. He has, dude, I think that's what he was thinking. I mean, I... Maybe that was a confession. Maybe that's what I would have been thinking. I'm thinking, man, you got a dream problem. That's not my problem. I'm here because of a dream problem. But he has two dreams. They have two dreams. But Joseph says to him, sorry, they say, but there's no one to interpret them. Here's where you're going to see the shift in Joseph from being a person all about himself to all of a sudden going vertical and learning that there is a God. Right here. Then Joseph said to him, do not interpretations belong to God? He's going, wait, isn't that the stuff of God? You're asking for someone to interpret. He didn't do the Harvey on this. He actually said, by the way, you should go to God for it. Think about this. When he had his last interpretation, he did what? He didn't let God interpret it. <clears throat> he interpreted it. Sidebar for a moment. In your life and in mine, where do we tell God how to interpret the dreams? Where do we tell God about what our dreams are? Have we told God our God is a, our, our dream is a red, white, and blue with stars all over it, and that's the only dream we're gonna dream? Well, what if God calls you along the way and says, you know what, I want you to care for the kids in the slums in Nairobi, and actually, you were made for that. And a lot of people that I know that have gone and done that come back and go, this is entirely what God made me to do. I could not be more joyful and more alive in my life than where I'm at right now. Because here's what it is. Stop the flags for a moment and follow the faith that God has for you because he will lead you to something much better than what you can interpret for yourself. God interprets a dream. So David, or sorry, jo Joseph here says, tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer and Joseph, uh, told Joseph his dream. He said to him this, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup on his head, hand. Joseph immediately said, this is what it means. And I think what that means is, and, and the reason why I don't think there's a big pause there, maybe there was, I don't know, we weren't there, but I think the reason why it moves forward quickly there is this, is that Joseph had learned to walk in the spirit. If you're gonna make your way through this new normal, 
We're gonna have to learn to walk in the Holy Spirit of God. Remember I read to you 1 Timothy chapter three last time, 1 chapter four last time? 1 Timothy chapter three says that there is a way of walking that's not in the spirit and it is a form of godliness, but it has no power. If your faith walk has no power, and you have no authority, and you don't, have, you don't have a sense of clarity about God's work and will and way in your life, it's the Holy Spirit of God that you may be grieving. It's the Holy Spirit of God that you may have shut off in your life because the quickest way to shut off God in your life is to do this. God, I'm not doing that. He says, okay, fair enough. If you don't want the blessings that come along with what I have for you, peace on you, go figure it out for yourself. Joseph came to a place where he was ready to share what it means. Joseph said to him, the three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position and you will, be put, you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, please remember me. I love the human component of the way that he does it. He goes, here's what it means. Really great news. You're gonna get your job back because whatever made Pharaoh so angry, you're not the one at fault. But when you get there, make sure to mention to Pharaoh about me so he can get me out of this prison because I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. He still remembered his pain. He still remembered his pain. Thank God he did, because honestly, I gotta tell you, I mean, I would have, you would have. He was human. Look what he does with the next one. So we go to the next verse. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation... He said to Joseph, I too had a dream. Now think this out with me for a second. Let's just get practical, all right? Let's just go Jerry Springer, maybe even a little courtroom, Judge Judy, whatever, right? So we're all sitting here and we're watching. We got Joseph here who's interpreting the dreams. We've got the baker and we got the cupbearer, right? We have them sitting in the room and we're all going, okay, I, man, I don't know. I'm thinking, you know, and you've done that, right? Three o'clock in the afternoon when you broke that leg and you had to sit at home, you were collecting workman's comp. I mean, I've been there. Now, so anyway, so they're watching this all play out and the cupbearer or the baker, one of them was wrong. Well, let's see with the baker, how he responds. He saw, man, maybe I got a good, he got off well. Let me see how I get off. So he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole and the birds will eat away your flesh. I don't, if I'm the baker, I'm thinking, I really didn't want to hear that. That wasn't the way I interpreted it. I thought it meant in three days, I'm making bread again. It was such good bread that the, even the birds of the field liked the bread. And then the other people liked the bread. And it was so good. We had bread, I had bread on top of my head and people were eating it like that. And Joseph says, no, 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 no. This is what will happen. So let's see how it plays out. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of the officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Guys, I think it's a powerful moment because you know what it shows us is that Joseph learned to hear from God as God was speaking, not just as he wanted him to. If you're gonna make it through the new normal, 
If you're not gonna make it to the normal, we can't tell God what we wanna hear. We have to listen to what he says and then seek his face for what he means. We're gonna have to learn to go back to that old time gospel of this, is if God is leading my life, then I'm gonna let him lead my life. I'm gonna stop grinding, I'm gonna stop worrying, and I'm gonna start praying, and I'm gonna start believing, and I'm gonna start serving. God's call is to do all that. Now, you all want a Hollywood ending. We all want a Hollywood ending. But I want you to see the last little verse. The chief cupbearer, the guy that came in with all the flashy garments, got out of jail, had his little yellow card of Monopoly, right? Said, I'm out, right? You're not, but I'm out. Look what happens. However, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. If you're waiting for the world to remember everything that you deserve and everything that you're owed and everything that you want and everything that you desire, then you're in that race with people that just look out for themselves. If you're following Jesus, then you're in the race that says this, I wanna finish well, I wanna serve him, I wanna seek God's face, and I'm gonna go be the best baker that God called me to be. I'm not gonna get in trouble with Pharaoh. I'm gonna go be the best cup bearer. I'm gonna go be the best person at my work. I'm gonna go be the best person in my neighborhood. I'm gonna go be God's person in my house and in my neighborhood. And instead of doing the way of the world, which is what Jacob ended up doing when he set his son up to fail, what we're gonna do is we're going to go love our families in the name of Christ and in the way of Christ. That, I think, is the story. And you got to see a person in real time go through their, their struggles and stop grinding, stop worrying, start praying, and start serving. Peace of Christ. Good to be with you. There's discussion questions for those of you who are watching with us online. Go well. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.